Sunday night, sitting in my office, uh, talking to somebody via Skype. So I'm here with Jordan McGarry. Um, you know, I was excited. I'm always excited when I reach out to people. And, and I think when I reached out to you, Jordan, uh, about doing this, I think you replied pretty quickly and said, hey, I, I, I've been listening to your podcast. You know, I'm, I'm excited, right? So it's always exciting when, you know, when I reach out to folks or talk to folks who are actually listening Right and participating in all this craziness, um, and and getting something out of it. So, man, I, I, a, I appreciate you participating tonight with me, and, and, and b, I appreciate your feedback. That's that's awesome. Um, so, I, I I wanted to, um, you know, start like I always start on these, right? Get get a little little background from you about you know how you came to lacrosse, where where your, you know, where your experience with the with the game started. Right, um, I, I don't think you you're you're local. I don't think your experience started here in Austin, right? So, you know, maybe if you could kind of start at the beginning and 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 tell us how you came to the game of lacrosse. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me again. Uh, I am a fan of the podcast. It's cool to hear, you know, what everyone's doing throughout the state. We're so far away from each other that kind of hearing little little nuggets here and there. It's uh, it's, it's fun. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I started playing lacrosse. I grew up in Connecticut. Um, so a little bit of a hotbed area, but I got a late start to the game myself. I didn't start into, until my, uh, sophomore year of high school. So, um, I grew up right between New Haven and Fairfield County in a town Milford. Um, and my town didn't have lacrosse at the youth level and they didn't have lacrosse at the high school level either at that point. Uh, this is, I went to high school in 2001. So at that point, Grew up playing other sports. Basketball is my big sport. Uh, I played any every other sport that was out there recreationally in my town. And then I went to St. Joe's, which is in Trumbull, Connecticut. It's about 15 minutes away in Fairfield County. They play in the, the Fairfield County League with a lot of the other more traditional schools that you hear about a lot um, that are nationally ranked. The Darien's, the Wilton's, Greenwich, New Canaan's, Ridgefield's, all, all those schools. And I didn't start playing my freshman year. I was playing basketball and football and didn't have a spring sport. And going into my sophomore year, I had a lot of buddies that played and, and kind of got convinced and uh, started the spring of my sophomore year and uh, just kind of fell in love with it from there. It was a sport that uh, was too short to play basketball, not big enough to play football. And it was one of those stories where, uh, you know, the lacrosse coach at the time said, hey, you know, we're going to give you a, a pole and saw you play your point guard in basketball, you're moving your feet well, just do the same thing, and I got six feet to, uh, to play defense with. So it, it was cool for me that I was able to continue playing uh, throughout my high school career there and, um, and got introduced something late and, and, and was able to have some success with it there. Uh, and, and, again, just got to play with my buddies, and, and that's why I started. And luckily for me, growing up in Connecticut and, and having uh, some experienced high school coaches – uh, right away, I was I was given uh, really the chance to 
improve from from their instruction that I, I you know right away with the basics the fundamentals what I was taught from you know day one was uh, you know was the right way of doing things so that helped me in my development and went from there I, I wanted to continue playing uh, so had three years of high school experience and a little bit of a late bloomer considering I, I started playing so late and ended up uh, continuing on to play at uh, Division three Plymouth State University up in New Hampshire. Uh, wanted to be a teacher, and they had a good good program there in education. Uh, played my freshman year there and just felt that it wasn't the right fit for me uh, overall. And uh, ended up transferring to Assumption College in Worcester, Mass, a D2 school there. One of my best friends from high school that I played with uh, was at Assumption. He was playing lacrosse there. So I you know, went for a visit and... Uh, just en ended up there, felt like home, and it was a really good decision for me. So uh, started playing in the fall, and I had some some concussions uh, my freshman year, and and then got another one the fall of my my sophomore year at Assumption, and and ultimately uh, knew I was going to have to redshirt at least a year, and had to sit out from the game. So it's kind of uh, an untraditional path, I guess, and in my playing and coaching career, but. Uh, knowing I was going to be out for the spring of my sophomore year, I uh, reached out to one of the high school programs. It was close by the campus, and just said, "Hey, listen, I, you know, I, I'm a sophomore at Assumption College. I, I can't play this year, and I don't really want to stand on the sidelines. So, uh, any chance that I can come help out, you know, can I come coach and and whatever you got, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be there. So, um, it's kind of funny the way it worked out, but I went to their first practice. Uh, and Wachusett Regional High School is about 15 minutes away from Assumption College and head coach at the time, Phil Jackson said, hey uh, yeah, it looks like you know what you're doing how about you, uh, you coach the defense for the high school guys so it, it kind of fell into a, a really cool situation where I was a college kid a sophomore in college and uh, myself and uh, two other coaches, so three of us together coached a JV and a varsity team together did that my sophomore year uh, going into my junior year, I was kind of going back and forth. Do I, do I go back and play in college? Do I do I keep doing this this coaching thing and that I, I'm really enjoying and uh, still kind of having not great feelings about potentially getting another concussion and going through that whole thing? And uh, I, I kept coaching my junior year of college, and then going into my senior year, kind of had that same that same question in my head. And ultimately, you started working with the trainers and some of the medical staff in the, in the uh, greater Boston area and said, Hey, you know, you're cleared to play. If you want to give it a shot, go, you know, try to come out for your senior year and uh, decided that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, have an opportunity to play college lacrosse again, something that I knew that was going to come up and, you know, for the rest of my life. So I came out for my senior year, played my, my senior year of college uh, at assumption and they had a, a coaching change at that time. And, the two coaches that um, that took over, uh, Mel McKee and, and Tom Baker, they were assistants at the time when I when I first transferred and and said, hey, we'd love to have you come back out. Uh, Mel was uh, you know a legend in the area through the high school ranks and just his involvement with the game and and Tom, um, you know, I actually coached against him. He coached one of the rival high schools uh, at the time when I was coaching and he took took the assumption job. So those two guys kind of pulled me back in and, and were great mentors to me. And 
Uh, I played my senior year, and then I, I had to decide what I was going to do from there. Do I go get a job? Do, do I go to grad school? And at that point, I was, I was looking at school counseling programs to be a school counselor and, and coach. And uh, uh, Assumption College had a, a school counseling program. So uh, the coaches uh, said to me, hey, listen, we know, you know you're looking at grad school. We know you want to coach. So how about how would you come play your first year? Of, of grad school you can continue on and be a grad student here and then your second year of grad school you can be an assistant coach um, and continue and, and kind of start to build that way so uh, it didn't take very long to think about that got to play an extra year of lacrosse and and then jump right into a college coaching role after that um, so I, I was I was all in at that point I had a great uh, great chances to learn from two guys I, I really respected and and Mel's son, Jeff, was, was one of the coaches, too. So there's four of us all together. Um, and it got a lot of responsibility right away. I knew the program, knew the team, and uh, really just jump-started uh, my coaching career from, from high school on to college. And just knew at that point it was something that, that I wanted to be a part of. It was something that I wanted to continue. Uh, from there, I, had, I graduated with my master's in school counseling and and had to kind of make another step there and ended up looking at opportunities to get a full-time job as a school counselor and, and potentially coach in other areas of the country. I, I figured at that point in my life, right, right out of grad school, that if I wasn't going to leave the Northeast, it probably wasn't going to happen. So I, I was looking at some, some different opportunities and I was offered a job as a school counselor in Austin, Texas. So packed up the car and with a couple of buddies, drove out you know, um, that summer, right before, you know, right after I got out of school and starting the next school year. And I, uh, took a job as a school counselor at a private school, a small private school in Austin, Texas. And, and then I, I got connected with the Bowie lacrosse program in Austin. Uh, I did that for two years as a school counselor and then was an assistant coach. I coached the offense over at Bowie. This is in 2012, 2013. Uh, from there, I didn't know if the school counseling thing was going to be something I wanted to do long term. Um, I enjoyed parts of it, but I, I, I kind of missed. I spent most of my time thinking about going to practice and thinking about how I can, you know, make my guys better and how I can be mentors to them and how everything was about about the team and about lacrosse. So, so I kind of started reaching out to some people and and seeing if there are any opportunities for me to get back into the college game and. And knowing that that would ultimately take me away from Austin at that time. And I got an opportunity to go coach at Bellarmine University. It's a Division One school in Louisville, Kentucky. And then that was really a crash course in, in, in lacrosse. A lot of things that I, that I knew, I, I didn't. And I had some really great mentors there that, uh, you know, gave me, again, some responsibility and, and allowed me to really learn the game from them and, and just it was it was my grad school of lacrosse that year for sure, um, getting to play against top programs and and getting to learn from the coaches and uh, some high level players and in a non traditional you know, lacrosse area of Kentucky and in Louisville and and got to start getting engaged with their community at the youth and the high school level and and seeing what a, a college lacrosse program can do for for an area that was growing in lacrosse at all, at all levels. I did that for a year, and then I went on to uh, Bowdoin College, which is a Division Three school in the NESCAC. Um, 
kind of the the, the uh, Ivy League of Division Three, really high academic schools, really competitive lacrosse. Um, got to coach there for a year, and at that point, uh, I was kind of looking at you know where to go again. Uh, do I kind of move around and take so, uh, some different college jobs and try to find a place that I felt like I could be at for a longer period of time and, you know, different opportunities come up in the college ranks. And ultimately I, I said, you know, I really love Austin, Texas. I, you know, I miss being there. Um, I don't want to move around forever and just try to move on to the next job and the next job. So I moved back to Austin and tried to figure out what my next step was going to be again and uh, got connected with Chris Delfaus, who was the head coach and at Westlake High School, and he was the youth program director there, and he had an opportunity to uh, hire an assistant program director at the youth level and be an assistant coach at the high school. So I said, yeah, sounds great. Let's do it. I, you know, I, He had some familiarity with um, some of the same people that I did. He, he was a New Yorker originally, and he actually played at Connecticut College, which is in the same conference as Bowdoin. And we got to coach together at Westlake for, for a year. And um, after a year working with, with Chris there at Westlake, the Austin High uh, position came up. Um, just through a network, they reached out to me um, about an opportunity to be the head coach at Austin High School and, and then the program director for the youth program. And um, that was um, th- a little over three years ago. I'm going to my fourth year here at Austin High. So kind of a roundabout way and a lot of different things going on, but uh, landed me to a spot that I'm, I'm thankful for. It's a pretty cool situation. Man, that's awesome. It's interesting. As you were talking, I was sitting here taking notes about so many common themes that you hit on during your career that I talked about with other, with other guys, right? A um, couple things I'm interested in. You mentioned that you were from the you referred to, to Connecticut as the hotbed, but then at the same time you said you didn't play till your sophomore year, that they didn't have a youth yeah. program, right? So there there were no youth opportunities at all where you grew up? No. So the, the closest town at that point, I think one of our bordering towns, uh, which was about 10 or 15 minutes away, had lacrosse. And I knew some guys that had you know driven over there to, to play with a neighboring program, something that happens here in Texas a lot. Um, at that point, though, uh, I was doing I was playing other sports and I also didn't really have a reason at that point to go out and, and find at the youth level. But I was one of only a couple players, I, I think, at that point, maybe most four or five guys in my whole my whole town that had played, you know, at a private school or or another place. So, um, you know, you go 15 minutes west southwest of where i grew up and you know you've got youth programs 100 200 kids and they didn't even adopt i don't know exactly when it was but the the two public schools in my hometown didn't adopt lacrosse as you know one of their high school sports until i'm gonna say maybe maybe six to eight years ago so uh, it's still growing in in some of those you know hotbed of fairfield county you know again two towns over uh still really growing from from the ground up yeah it's interesting because you know mike brand told a similar story in the western part of new york where, where he grew up right which you know two towns over it was this it was a this part of the city culture was was lacrosse right it was an institution 
But in, in the town he was in, it, it wasn't really that meaningful. And it's interesting to hear you say the same thing, right? So your first exposure to the sport, and what, by exposure, I mean the first time you put a stick in your hand and tried it in any significant way, was from your high school coaches your sophomore year? Yeah, yeah. One of my buddies tried to get me to come out with me. We played catch, you know, the week before practice started, just trying to figure out, you know, the basics. So I, you know, coming in as a sophomore, I was a little nervous. But yeah, my sophomore year was the first time I really picked up a stick and had any kind of instruction. Yeah, it's awesome. That that just, you know, for me, it lends more credence to the idea that, especially at the youth levels, right? What what you need are are, are adults, right, and coaches who are interested. Right. And, and it's not necessarily about all the fine tuned instruction at that age level. Right. It's more about, you know, organizing. Right. Trying to organize, organize in air quotes, free play. Right. Making sure the kids don't kill themselves. Um, you know, that, that, that's yeah. probably it's more about that at the youth level. Right. And and man, your 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 testimony to start when you were a sophomore. Right. It, it just adds to that. That's crazy. Um, the other thing I thought that was interesting was. Uh, sounded like you went to, didn't sound like you went to college both as an undergrad and a grad student to, to pursue teaching which again is a, is a common theme you know when I talk to coaches like you know Jeremy Platt right at Kingwood or Mike Donnelly at Episcopal right you know th- these guys are, are are first and foremost they're teachers right and and you know coaching very naturally plays off of that you know they're they're teaching DNA, right? So it was interesting to say that, you know, you originally pursued a, a, a teaching career. Was it your intention originally to pursue, you know, teaching and coaching both together? Yeah, yeah, that was ultimately my goal. Um, I was originally a, a phys ed major um, and thought I was going to be a PE teacher and and a lacrosse coach or a basketball coach or whatever. I think even before I started playing lacrosse, I, I was just always drawn to sports growing up. It was I was always outside. I was always playing with guys in the neighborhood, and uh, it, it just became something that I enjoyed and, and something that I looked forward to. And and throughout a lot of my experiences, that's how I met my friends. That's how, you know, it's it's just a part of me. So I always thought that, that was going to be something I, I would pursue. And and I, I always enjoyed, you know, I used to coach basketball camps even in high school, and um, and then started coaching lacrosse camps when I was in high school once I got involved with lacrosse. So. Uh, I always liked teaching. I always liked kind of being one of the older guys and being a role model for the younger guys. And um, it was something that I was definitely drawn to pretty early on and thought that was going to be something I was going to pursue later on. It's, it's interesting, too, that you know, something you hit on was when you were a sophomore in college that you went off and you were coaching as a sophomore at a local high school, right? So, you know, an, an issue that I've talked about with other folks previously is you know, the guy who, who leaves, graduates from high school, goes plays some college ball and comes back to his hometown, right? And at that young age, there's challenges there, especially when you're, you know, you're playing, you're coaching a freshman or a sophomore who you knew, or he's a freshman or a sophomore of a, you know, he's a brother of a friend of yours, right? That's, those are challenges. So maybe your challenges were just a little bit different. What kind of challenges did you face as a young coach, but at a high school that you weren't necessarily connected with? Yeah, I think at that point, my, my biggest challenge is, as it is in different degrees, is just, you know, um, getting to know your players, developing some of those relationships. I think once the the guys on the team that, you know, senior in high school and I was a sophomore in college, we were only two years apart at that point. I think ultimately once they, they figured out that, hey, 
you know, I, I was there for the right reasons. I wanted to help them. I didn't want to, you know, control their, their high school experience, but I just wanted to support them and what they were trying to do. And, and we had a, uh, that year we had a really strong senior class, a class that really wanted to win. Uh, before then they didn't have uh, a ton of instruction on the defensive end of the, of the field. And I think they looked at it as an opportunity to, to get better as, as lacrosse players. And I think when they saw how serious I took it coming in with practice plans and, and scouting reports for games, I mean, I was all in, I think once they, they saw that uh, they, they were all in too. And, and we had a, a, a really professional relationship considering I was only two years older than them. But I think a lot of it had to do with the senior class that we had, the fact that they wanted to be competitive and, and that they felt like I can help them kind of, you know, reach their goals, uh, you know, in their, in their senior season. You, it seems like every time you open your mouth, you shatter some misconception, you, you shatter some preconception, preconceived notion I have about lacrosse in the Northeast. So when, <laughs> when you were coaching, you're a sophomore and you're coaching these high school boys, you said there wasn't a lot of coaching on the defensive end of the field. So that strikes near and dear to my heart, right? Because I'm a defensive coach and that's all I focus on. And, and the reason I do that, it's very intentional. There's yep. no defensive coaching here in Houston and it blows my mind, right? And I, I really try really hard, no matter which kids I bump into, where they go to school, where they play, I don't care. They're going to get defensive coaching from me, right? So, I mean, here, how do you account for the fact that there wasn't coaching on the defensive end of the field at a school back in the Northeast where all Texans just assume everybody lives and breathes lacrosse? Right. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I think kind of going back to the part of, uh, you know, my history of not being able to play lacrosse growing up. And, and again, Mike, Mike Brandt's point, point of, you know, Western New York and not having lacrosse as, as big there as, as you may think. Um, Central Massachusetts is where Assumption College is in Worcester. And there aren't, at that point, not a ton of lacrosse schools. And Eastern Mass, uh, outside of the Boston area, is definitely the hotbed there. And Central Mass and, to a certain degree, Western Mass are just a little bit behind that. Uh, so the, the school that I, I was helping coach at, um, the, the football coach, one of the football coaches was the, was the head lacrosse coach. And, and then um, one of the other coaches, the, the JV head coach, um, he had some experience playing. Uh, but, you know, both of them had a little bit more of the offensive side. And, and the head football coach, was he was a great manager, uh, great leader but he didn't have the lacrosse experience uh growing up with the game or playing the game before um and, and you know we we struggle sometimes you, know, you think about in, in texas and and now everything is so specialized and how many coaches you have and you have positional coaches and and you know face-off coaches and goalie coaches and at this point they had a full jv and varsity probably 40 plus guys and they had a you know head varsity coach and the jv head jv coach and the JV coach assisted the varsity coach, and the varsity coach assisted the JV coach, and that was it. It was two guys, <laughs> you know. And so I made I made a third. So um, so then it became the three of us, you know. And uh, so it, it is, you know, it's a different time now with some of that stuff. And uh, but that's just, yeah, it's just kind of the way it was. was. I don't think that was that was really rare at that time. Even my high, I'm looking back to my, my <clears throat> high school team and in Connecticut, and we were we were a decent team and. You know, we probably had three coaches for a full JV and varsity and, you know, 40, 50 guys. Wow. What, um, when, you're, when you're in Massachusetts coaching at the high school, did you have any visibility to how the sport of lacrosse 
was governed at the high school level in Massachusetts? Not really. You know, at that point, growing up in Connecticut and then going to Massachusetts, I always just looked at it as this is just like any other sport. You know, it's, you know, here's your your helmet. Here's your, I think they got helmet and gloves and, and you know, they had to buy stick and, and maybe, you know, they got a shooting shirt and shorts and things like that, some practice gear, you know, reversible. And then, you know, maybe they did some fundraising to get some sweatsuits or something like that. But, but at that point, to me, it was, you know, it was under the umbrella of, you know, the state athletic department, you know, where they're, they're providing uh, structure and legislation and, and just really uh, a framework for, for the sport, just like they would be doing for basketball or hockey or football or really any other sport. And that was my experience in Connecticut as well. You know, when I signed up for lacrosse, I had to, I had to get a stick, you know, um, helmet, you know, show, I think even we got some shoulder pads and maybe some, even some elbow pads, you know, it, it wasn't uh, a huge expense to my family to, to sign up and play and, and try something out as a sophomore in high school. So you're able to get a lot, you know, a lot more players. The other thing that was different in Connecticut and Massachusetts too, at that point, I don't know if it's changed, but I don't think it has, is that there were clear cutoffs for when sports can start and end. So for example, you know, football season ends on this day in November, you know, basketball can't start until the following week. You know, the last time that the football team can play, well, basketball can't start until after that point. And then same thing, you know, basketball season ends this day in March, and then lacrosse starts that next Monday. So you could be a, a multi-sport athlete playing three sports at that point. And I think that really helped, you know, my school. And, and then when I was coaching in Massachusetts, we got a lot of the football kids out. You know, we got the hockey kids, the guys that play hockey. And their season ended in February or March. And then they, you know, they got a week off or something like that. And they came out to lacrosse. So you were able to kind of find those guys and having it be a school sport where, uh, it wasn't a huge cost. It wasn't a huge investment for those families. It certainly helped us get some of the better athletes and and get some of the numbers to help you do a lot of things you want to do. You know, have a full JV and varsity and uh, practices and games and develop a program rather than just a, a team every year. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective because, as you know, here in Texas, right, the the private schools that participate in SPC they have defined seasons. Right? And they, they don't get to start one season until the last season's wrapped up. Right? And their right. the, the reason that they do that is a little bit different. I, you know, they're, they're dealing with such limited numbers of boys. They're trying to make sure boys have the opportunity to play as many sports as possible, and they, and they need them to. But, yeah, that, that's an interesting point because here in Texas, right, all these seasons, as it relates to lacrosse, are all bleeding all over each other, right? So, so fall football yeah. is running all over lacrosse. Lacrosse is, you know – up all over baseball and basketball, right? It, it's 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 a bit of a mess, and it it hurts. I know there was some discussion here locally. I'm I'm getting off on a tangent. Um, I was actually talking with somebody today about here in town, the way the the youth organization youth organization is kind of being reswizzled. Is one of the things they're doing is changing the dates for the youth lacrosse season here, so it doesn't conflict with baseball, so they can pull those baseball nice. players, right? So I thought that was interesting, right? And I I think. You know, in this era of specialization where people want, you know, their, their, their sport to be played all year long, there's something to be said for defining those seasons, providing for those multi-sport athletes, and allowing new kids to come in and play, right? A kid, a baseball kid who would never play lacrosse, right? Give them that opportunity, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. There was a, I, I loved it. There was another term that you used that uh, Mike Brand used repeatedly, which was kind of the idea that there was like this crash course, right? <laughs> in, in lacrosse, right? Uh, the, 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 what it, like language submersion, right? Where you're, you're just up to your eyeballs. And I, I'm interested in your coaching experience at, at, at Bellarmine and, um, was it Bowden? Is that what you said? I'm sorry. I made a note here and I can't read my handwriting. Bowden. Yeah. Uh, Bowden College. Sorry, Bowden. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about your coaching experience there. I mean, was it just drinking from a fire hose? Were you doing everything? You know, Brand describes, you know, whether it's, you know, maintaining recruiting databases or, you know, helping organize practices or whatever. What, what, at those two stops in your coaching career, what, what were you doing and what led you to kind of characterize that as a crash course? Yeah, I think starting at Bellarmine, uh, they were similar, they were different as far as my roles and responsibilities. At Bellarmine, um, I was assisting the defensive coordinator. Um, so I did a lot of scouting, uh, a lot of watching film. So uh, it was funny, while I was supporting the defensive side of the ball there, I was watching everyone else's offense. So I think I got a little bit of a crash course in offense and seeing, hey, what are the trends right now? What are offenses doing? What are, you know, and, and then from there, kind of helping support our defensive coordinator at that time. Um, and then I was also coaching face-offs. Um, so I, I, I was not a face-off guy myself. I honestly, I did not know much about face-offs. I was, I think Mike said in his, and I was in a similar situation where I was the whistleblower, you know, as far as just, <laughs> hey, get the guys reps, uh, try to come up with some, some cool ideas, uh, try to get some feedback from the face-off guys and say, hey, let's, let's try to do something like this. Um, just try to keep it fresh over the course of a, of a season. Um, you know, and then, you know, practice time too, warming up the goalies. We had, I think four goalies on the roster at that point. So everyone tried to give them a warm up, trying to give them, you know, shots again from scouting where we're seeing, okay, well, you know, this team is shooting from this area or this is how the ball is moving into this shot. Um, so I was, you know, I was a shooter. I was, uh, you know, blowing whistles. I was, um, supporting, you know, our defensive coordinator. That was, that was my, those were my main responsibilities. And then just kind of helping throughout the course of, you know, the, the daily operations to go on, whether it's, you know, sending back broken heads and broken shafts to, to the lacrosse companies to, you know, um, you know, get, get new equipment for the guys, uh, all those little things that kind of go into, uh, you know, the college coaching role. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's pretty much what I did. And then the unique thing about being at Bellarmine too, is that, you know, they, the coaching staff there did, uh, a nice job and, and really wanted to help grow the local area. So, you know, there was a club program there at, at, at the time, Bluegrass Lacrosse, which, you know, was run by the Bellarmine coaches that, you know, wanted to try to you know, enhance the level of play in the Louisville area. Um, and then, you know, we, we used to do some clinics and things like that too. So there's, there's definitely an outreach uh, at that point too, to, to try to support the local area. And again, being in a non-traditional area, so I helped with some of that too, help organize some of the, the events that were going on, help coach uh, some of the youth teams and the high school teams. Um, and then also it, it was unique because, you know, we didn't, being outside of the East Coast, you couldn't go watch some of the top teams play. Um, so there, you know, there were a couple teams that were pretty good and we got to go, you know, watch a high school game and, and see kind of the development of, of, of lacrosse there throughout the course of the year, which is kind of cool. Um, at Bowdoin, it, it was definitely different, different setup. You know, you're, you're talking about division three where, you know, there isn't fall ball, really high academic school. 
And, um, you know, we had some multi-sport athletes there. We had, uh, you know, a football guy, a couple of hockey guys that would come out in the spring. Um, and you're playing in the NESCAC, which is, you know, ultra-competitive lacrosse conference. You know, you're in there with, with Tufts and Amherst and Williams, and, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, so, you know, you go from Bellarmine where, you know, it's more of a football-type schedule where you're, you're traveling a lot more and you're having games on, you know, Saturdays. You know, you prep all week. And you're, you know, you're going to travel and you're going to go play another school on a Saturday where in the NESCAC, you, know, you could have a game Wednesday and a game Saturday. It's almost like a high school schedule. So, you know, there's not a lot of time to prepare. Um, there's not a lot of time to, uh, to kind of sit and think. <laughs> and, uh, and you're just kind of on to the next one. And, and, and it was different. It was, you know, every game you play there is competitive. You, know, you look at NESCAC scores every year and, you know, the seventh place team just beat the second place team and then. You know, there's no rhyme or reason to anything. So um, I had a similar role there, help with the defense, help with the faceoff guys. You um, kind of just supported the supported the program. Uh, did a lot of scout, did a lot of film breakdown. Um, you know, met with a lot of the guys in small groups, all that kind of stuff. It was definitely different, though, just the amount of time that you had with the guys. It, you know, at Bellarmine we had longer practices. We had we had we were allowed more time with the guys, and and being a Division One athletics team. You know, it was just more, um, it was just a little bit more intensive. And even the, the travel uh, going, you know, even for myself personally, you know, you're, you're, you're leaving on a, on a Thursday and you're going to play a game on a Saturday and you're coming back Sunday night and you got to plan around that too where, you know, at Bowdoin we would maybe go up and back in the, in the same day, um, you know, if you're playing some schools that are close by. Um, and, and with the guys too, we, we couldn't start practice until February, so – we used to do positionals and small group work um, where we would just get the guys in, you know, starting at, you know, 6 or 7 a.m. Guys would start coming in every hour. Another group would come in and then, you know, we would we would be fighting the the, the winners, too, of, of being able to go outside on the field and, and have practice. And um, and then, you know, I think we had you know, two or three weeks before our first game. So it was very much like a high school setup, um, but definitely not. Uh, from a competition standpoint, we, you know, we have, a, we had a lot of guys that were, you know, were deciding between, you know, Bowdoin or another NESCAC school and, and a lot of division one schools, but because of the academics were, were so high and the competition level was so high there that, uh, that was something those guys were interested in. So two totally different schools, which was interesting to be a part of. Um, and, you know, division one to division three, both really com competitive schools and, and competitive conferences. At that point, Bellarmine was with, you know, Ohio State and, and Air Force, that was before, it was the year before the SOCON came into to be, so we did get to play High Point and Mercer and um, Furman that year, uh, but that hadn't really started yet. We played Jacksonville, uh, Richmond didn't have a, a team running yet, so um, yeah, they were different, but but similar, and like you said, and, and I think Mike said in his as well, it's just that you were doing a lot of different things, and it kind of came out of it with a lot of different ideas, and and some more questions too, and kind of just kind of roll with the punches. When when you were at Bellarmine, you you'd mentioned it earlier, and you mentioned it there again, the role Bellarmine and the coaching staff played there in the local lacrosse community was. Uh oh. You still there? Sorry, I lost you there. Can yeah. you say that one again? Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I felt all of a sudden I heard a, a submarine pinging me. It was very strange. Um, 
when when you were at Bellarmine, you had mentioned twice that earlier and then and then just then that the, the coaching staff um, and there and the team there really drove a lot what was going on in that local community. I mean, was there a lacrosse scene there locally before that Bellarmine team existed? Or did that Bellarmine team really drive it from the top down in a big way? I think there was definitely some lacrosse there uh, before Bellarmine started the program. Uh, there are two schools there. Uh, St. X uh, is, is a really good school, and Trinity is another. Uh, uh, they're, they're really uh, competitive athletic programs in both schools, even outside of lacrosse. Um, so those two schools were there, and we had we had some local uh, Louisville kids on the team. Um, but I think the coaching staff at that point, we kind of thought that you know, driving the local lacrosse scene, obviously we wanted to grow in, in the Louisville area and the Kentucky area, but also to be able to recruit within you know a short drive of where we are. Uh, one of the challenges there is, again, not being on the East Coast or being – in a hotbed, you know, you don't have a lot of, you know, you hear stories of all these guys who want to stay close to home. Well, that wasn't really a thing, you know, which made it a cool environment, though, too. You know, we had kids from all over the country and from Canada, and it was kind of a home away from home for a lot of those guys. There weren't a lot of cliques or uh, different groups just because everyone was kind of coming from a different place. And we had a lot of West Coast kids and, again, a lot of kids from Canada and kids from the Ohio region and we did have some local Louisville kids. So it was kind of cool to see, you know, everyone kind of come together from different places and, and, you know, to the middle of the country and to Louisville, Kentucky. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, and some of the, some of the Bellarmine grads um, are doing a really good job there. Uh, some of the guys that were on the team that I coached started a club program after the coaching staff changed there. Um, they started a club program and are, are still growing it now. So uh, even, Without the, the Bellarmine coaches right now running a club program there, some of the graduates uh, from Bellarmine, you know, they were brought to Louisville from different places, um, are, are the ones kind of leading the charge right now. So it did have a big impact on on that area and the development of lacrosse there. When, um, if I remember correctly from what you were talking about earlier, this was before you landed at Bellarmine. That, that was kind of when you made the decision to coach, right? When, yeah. What precipitated that decision? Was there something that happened, you know, in your in your teaching career, or did you just realize, man, I'm I'm just meant to be a coach. I'm I'm just wired to be a coach. What how what how did you make that decision? What happened? Yeah, well, in my in my role as a school counselor, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work with kids one on one in small groups throughout the course of the entire day. Uh, but I felt like when I went to practice. You know, I enjoyed being out on the field and being in that environment when I was working with kids more. And I felt like I had uh, was able to have a bigger impact in that way. You know, we're both sharing something that we both care about. And I felt like, you know, I was in the school building all day working with kids, um, trying to support them and help them. And um, and then when I go to practice, I had, a, you know, an hour and a half versus, you know, full school day and, you know, not even see them every day sometimes, and uh, you know, my lacrosse players. But again, just kind of felt like I had a bigger impact on the field than I did in the, in the school building. And I think part of that was that, you know, we were there, you know, for some somewhat the same reason. Right. Uh, I, I always tell my guys that, you know, one of the reasons why I coach is that, you know, I I'm going back to when I first started playing lacrosse and, you know, 2002, I guess, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, I've been a part of a lacrosse team ever since in some capacity or another and sharing something that I love is keep working towards something and, and uh, being a part of a team. And 
I think they're there for, for that same reason. Um, and so having that connection, I think I, I was just kind of able to make a, a little bit of a larger impact on, on the guys that I was around. And so that was at, was that at Bowie, if I remember correctly? Yeah, that was Bowie. So I was there for, for, for two years. So when you, when you made the decision just to, to coach at, when you were there at Bowie, was, was there a team there already? Or, or was there an administrative hurdle that you had to, to jump over to, to build the team and, and lay that groundwork? So there was a there was a team there already. The head coach at that time was uh, was Justin Becker. Uh, he's now coaching at Georgetown High School, um, and he was a teacher there. Uh, he was a coach there, and um, they were successful. You know, they were at that point. You know, Austin High and and Bowie and you know, Westlake was, was coming on at that point, but um, they they were competitive. They they were one of the top teams in Austin uh, before I got there, and, and at that time too, we were generally one of the you know the top four teams to come out of to come out of austin so it was pretty savage it was a jv and a varsity there at that point um and and they were having success so there was something in place at that point uh there were some younger kids that uh, were on the team when i when i first started coaching there that ended up playing in college so there was there was a good little pipeline there and um and yeah they were they were pretty competitive at that point when i first got there so how did the your, your first two years of just strictly coaching there at Bowie? How did that compare to your coaching experience when you were a sophomore in college? I mean, it was is Texas lacrosse and coaching Texas lacrosse really that much different than anywhere else in the world, or were the experiences in those two spots eh, pretty much the same? They were pretty different. Really, <laughs> they were, pretty were they? Different. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, I was I wasn't a teacher, you know, a sophomore in college, but you know, I would get onto that high school campus and would meet the other two coaches in their PE room, you know, in their office. And, you know, we'd, they'd print out, you know, a practice plan from their school printer and, you know, their balls were stacked underneath their desks. And, you know, I left my stick there, <laughs> you know, we had, we had a locker room there for the PE teachers that, you know, I was able to just go in and obviously I was coming with ready to go, but everything was there. You know, the weight room was there that we could use and we did use for conditioning. And you walked outside the PE offices and you were onto a turf field. You know, with goals and yeah, you know, everything. Uh, saw the AD when you walked through. Uh, saw the kids when you first walked into school. Um, hey, if we want to do film, just you know, we'll reserve a classroom. So a lot of those logistical things um, were the biggest difference. And you know, going to Bowie and I, you know, I remember starting and thinking, okay, it's going to be at Bowie High School. I'm not too far from there. And that's not where we practiced. You know, it was a, a field that had cracks in it. And, about practically no grass, you know, 15 minutes from Boogie High School almost with traffic. So uh, that right away, uh, I noticed this was a difference. And then the next year we practiced even further from Boogie High School, you know, and you're paying, you know, how much to play and, you, you know, you're, you're, you're paying for these fields. And it was, it was just different. Everything was different. I, I couldn't get around to that. There was fall ball, you know, wait, we can, we can coach these guys in the fall. You know, I thought, you know, they would just play in the spring and, so there were some definite uh, differences in just kind of the structure of, of what was going on, but the feel too, because again, you're, you're not on that school campus. You're not, um, you don't have that kind of connection to the school. Um, even the ones that are kind of more heavily supported, I, I just, I, I didn't see that, you know, walk out of your school, go play on this turf field, just like any other sport. And, you know, again, being able to have an office in the school and get in a classroom for film and all those type of things. Now, Justin at that point was a teacher there, so we did have some 
access to those things at Bowie, but uh, but the everyday going to the field after school wasn't wasn't a thing for them. After after Justin left and you took over, did the relationship with the school change in his absence? So I actually left for Bellarmine, uh, and he was still the head coach there. So oh, okay. I was there for two years as gotcha. assistant, yeah, gotcha. and then and then left uh, before before he left. So it's yeah, it's it's kind of the age old question of resources and access, right? I mean that that sounds like that was the that was the difference, and that's a pretty consistent theme no matter who you talk to around here in Texas. Um, yeah. When did you, this is always a funny question. This came up when I talked to Jeremy Platt, and I always ask it now because it elicited such a funny response from him. When did you realize lacrosse wasn't a sanctioned sport in Texas? I think right there when I got to the field and I looked around and, you know, it was literally just a field, you know, like in a development of a, you know, housing community. And, uh, and the goals, you know, we had a couple goals there. You drove your car out to the field. Um, there were some of those prop up lights, you know, uh, yeah, at that point I looked around and I'm on a field and there were cars all around some random field and a couple goals. And, you know, and that's when I realized this is a little bit different, you know, this is a little bit different. Um, <laughs> so what role you know, early in your coaching career here in Texas, you know, the, the idea of the crash course that you talked about, right. That you got at, at uh, Bowden and, and, and Bellarmine, that crash course, when did that become important to you as a coach in Texas? Right. Cause you, you know, it wasn't an easy road, right? Coaching here yep. in Texas, there was a lot to do, and it was not traditional stuff, right? Whether it was arguing and debating field space or, you know, field maintenance or dealing with a parent board or whatever it was, right? Where did that crash course experience begin to play a role in Texas for you? You know, for me, I thought it was a little bit of the, you know, kind of a find a way mentality. You know, as college coaches, there are things that pop up all the time that you have to deal with, and you have a lot on your plate. You're the administrator there too for your own program, and uh, as an assistant, you're taking on a lot of responsibility from the, from the head coach, and and so I think it's 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 really that it's you know the, the thing that I was able to transfer right away, uh, taking over as you know the head coach at Austin High and a program director is, and you just have to find a way to make it happen. You know, do we need to find fields? Do we need to you know negotiate better pricing on uniforms? Uh, you know, running a budget, all those type of things, um, you know, play a role in the success of a program and your ability to grow and attract new players and make sure that the players that you have are having a good experience. So I think being able to organize and be flexible and adjust on the fly to some things and be creative uh, came from some of those crash courses of, hey, we need to do this and we got to figure out a way to make it work because this is what we have and this is what we have to accomplish. Yeah, that's awesome. When... Um... So remind me, I can't find it in my notes, half of which I can't read at this point. Um, remind me when you landed at Austin? Uh, at Austin High School? Yeah. Uh, this was in 2000, so fall of 2016. My first spring was 2017 coaching. Gotcha. So there's actually some history, some lacrosse history at Austin High School, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the team started at Austin High School, I believe it was 1989. Uh, and they have some state championships too um, in the early 90s. So, and there haven't been very many coaches at Austin High School either. So, uh, the first couple of coaches uh, were there for an extended period of time, and there's a lot of history there. Um, and we still have some alumni that are that are that are pretty involved and like to keep tabs on the program. We have an alumni game uh, this coming week over Thanksgiving break, and I remember my 
my first year at Austin High going to the alumni game and having guys from that, that early 90s team show up to the alumni game to play, you know, which was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool experience to see some guys that still wanted to stay connected with the program. And some of the alum have kids in our youth program right now too, which is uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's something – that's a really common theme that I talk about with folks a lot, <clears throat> which is that generational component that's just non-existent here in Texas, right? Sure. And it sounds like maybe you have the seed of that, yeah? A little bit. You know, um, to a certain degree we do. We have some some people that stayed in town, and, and now they're the next generation, right? Their kids are, are picking up the sport. and, and But we're, we're, we're pretty mixed, too. We have a lot of transplants uh, in Austin and like every city in Texas, right? And uh, – and we do have a lot of parents that, that aren't familiar in the sport, but we do have a good group uh, that, that did play and and either for Austin High or somewhere else. And they're a huge resource for sure. Did um, So when you landed at, at, at Austin High School and, and based on that, I mean, there's there's a history there. Was, was there a culture that existed there? Was there a defined culture that, that you stepped into when you took that coaching role? Uh there was. I think they had a little bit of a – they were trying to find their identity at that point. Um, I was their, their third coach in probably about, I think, four years at that point. Um, so some of the consistency wasn't there. Um, and I think they were just – they needed a little bit of a new direction to a certain degree. And uh, between the youth program all the way through the high school, not just the high school, but we brought it as, as one at that point. Uh, when I when I started with Austin High, that it, all of a sudden now this was a first through eighth grade into you know ninth through twelfth, um, so it became one program at that point, and it, it was it needed just a little bit of a culture change, um, with some of the guys that were there, some of the guys that were going to be coming up, and uh, it was it was uh, it was a it was a cool process to be a part of because you did have that tradition, but that tradition was you know from a long time ago. Um, those guys aren't on the team anymore. And, um, you know, you have new guys on, on that team in the program and, and the, the culture did kind of change when I, when I came on board and, and, uh, we made some changes to coaching staff. Um, some certain guys came out to play. They didn't play before certain guys that were playing, uh, no longer played. So there were, there were a lot of changes that happened that year as, as I took over. Did you mention? So when you took this role at Austin High School, they consolidated the high school and, and youth programs. Correct, yes. Whose idea was that? Was that something that, you know, while you were maybe negotiating with the organization about your role, that the idea of combining those came about? Or is that something you proposed once you got there? How, how did that come about? So that was uh, brought on by, by the board and the, the selection committee that, that was looking to fill this role. So the board, they wanted to make a change in the program. Um, they saw what some other programs are doing in the, in the area and throughout you know, Texas and Dallas and Houston and, and wanted to get to this. After doing some research, they talked to some people and I, I believe you know, they reached out to the Highland Park program and other people that had this set up and they wanted to get to a spot where you know, they can follow that. They saw some success in that model as they were doing their research and said, hey, the next person we're going to hire to be the head coach, we want them to be the, the youth program director as well to oversee the, the, the broad scope of first through 12th grade. So that was, that was our, our, our board and the, uh, the selection committee that they did that research and decided that's what they wanted for the program as they went to find that next head coach. And your, 
your position now as over the high school and the youth program, this is this is your full time gig, right? This is your job. It is, yes. Awesome. So talk about let's talk about the the you know, that point at which they they combine the youth and high school. Let's focus on the youth, right? So when they decided to combine the high school and youth programs, what were the, the organizational implications for the youth specifically? So the high school board was always overseeing the youth. It just wasn't really one. There wasn't a lot of youth representation or there wasn't a lot of talk of the youth. Um, so that kind of became, it, it, was, it was together, but it was separate. So what we did was we brought in um, kind of just the idea of, of, of taking out, at that point it was called West Austin Youth Lacrosse, which um, doesn't really describe the area in Austin that we actually pull from as a feeder to Austin High School. So um, one of the first things we did was we, we made an Austin Youth Lacrosse as a feeder to Austin High Lacrosse. There were a lot of areas of town that didn't know that West Austin Youth Lacrosse at that point was for them uh, just because of the name, right. right? And it always served, Austin High had always kind of pulled from one elementary school really one elementary school one middle school and, and those kids would come up and that was the austin high team at that point and right now after making that change austin youth lacrosse we've kind of pulled from a lot of different elementary schools and we kind of have a, um, a broader reach so that was one thing that we did um are you pulling so with that youth program are you pulling kids expressly that will feed into austin high school or are you pulling any, are you pulling anybody okay so you're pulling strictly austin kids Yes. Gotcha. So any 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 student that uh, is in the Austin High boundaries is is who, who we're targeting, who's uh, currently in our program right now. Gotcha. What was so at the, that point, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was I was just gonna say at that point we realized uh, one of the biggest changes is, is is that name change, but also just the fact that we needed to uh, attack different areas of of our feeding schools. You know, to try to network with different teachers and, um, you know, any parents we knew from other schools to try to start working into those schools and start recruiting different areas of, of, of our boundaries. With, sorry, now I'm, I'm trying to take notes and talk at the same time. That's not working. Um, the, what were the administrative differences for the youth program once they combined the youth and the high school? You said that the, the high school board kind of oversaw them, you know, previously. Was there any real difference from an administrative perspective once they combined them? Um, that I don't really know. I, they did have a, a youth program director at that point that did kind of manage the youth program with some some parent support, um, but they, it wasn't a, a foolproof, you know, first or twelfth grade where that person was overseeing what they wanted to have happen at the youth as they, you know, develop and build into the high school. It was two separate roles and. You know, one person's kind of managing the youth, the other person's kind of managing the high school, and the board just makes sure that we have a, a youth program director um, in, in place. But I don't know exactly uh, the details of, of how they manage those two roles uh, together. I think it was very separate at that point. And from a, you know, from a coaching perspective, right, you've taken over the, the youth program as, as, you know, quote, the head coach. Are you responsible for finding coaches, growing coaches, training coaches, making sure coaches, you know, are, are, are playing in a, in a way or using language, right. Or stressing things that are mm -hmm. important to you at the high school level. 
Yeah. So that's, you know, my, that was one of my, my top priorities is to start, you know, developing first is to recruit those, those kids and, and try to, you know, our outreach to the community to grow the numbers that we had. And, and then, you know, part two would be to, as you said, you know, create an environment where they can develop and they can enjoy the game and, and they can improve so that, you know, when they get to high school, we, we you know, we have, um, we have players that have some experience and had a, you know, a good experience playing at that, that youth level and had good coaches and, and everything like that. So my role with the youth program is, is really to manage the whole thing, you know, from like a budgetary perspective. Um, I go to, into all the elementary schools that will have me, um, which I think this year, we usually get into about five of the seven um, and we do PE lacrosse there. We do uh, off-season programming, so we have different opportunities throughout the course of the year outside of the spring season. Uh, so I manage that, uh, hire all of the, the coaches that we have, uh, first or eighth grade, um, do coaching clinics and some, some things for, for them to kind of start putting in some of our curriculum, and um, do everything from emailing parents, putting together teams, uh, attending our youth league meetings, scheduling for our youth, coordinating our field space with with our um, with uh, the people, our facility that, that owns the fields, and you know, being there on game days for the for the youth, um, so really, really all of it, and then getting some some key parents involved to kind of help support where needed throughout the course of the year. How does the how does the hiring and firing of coaches work? So does the does the board empower you to make those decisions? Do they give you, hey, here's the basic requirements for a coach? You know, you go forth and conquer. Or do you have any control over the coach, the coaches that are hired? How does that work? Yeah, so I've, I really have complete control. We haven't had you know any situation where uh, we haven't hired somebody um, or I've been told to hire somebody. So my board has, has been great at supporting me and, and making those decisions. And, and part of my roles and responsibilities is to is to find qualified coaches and and um, train them and, 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 and kind of oversee them throughout the course of the year, both at the high school and the, and, and the youth levels. So uh, luckily for us, you know, we are in a really good spot as far as our location in Austin being downtown. So we have a lot of young professionals that, you know, are a short walk or, you know, a, uh, a quick car ride from, from work to get over to practice. Our fields are, are right downtown. Um, so, you know, uh, I have, I've had a lot of success finding former college players, uh, you know, young professionals that, you know, want to get involved. They want to coach. They want to do something after work a couple days a week and get involved with the youth. Uh, I've, I've gotten um, some different guys that I've known in Austin involved in our program as well, and we kind of have a, a good core group. And even this year, we just added to our youth roster, our youth coaching staff, uh, a guy that uh, I coached at Bowie that uh, played in college. Now he's back in town and he's coaching. So uh, they're uh, – there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of obstacles to finding coaches, but for us, it, it's been nice to be close to downtown, where it, it makes it really easy for guys. They don't have to drive 20, 30, 40 minutes after work to, to go coach. So I think that's one thing that has definitely helped our program out there. How, when a lot of a lot of boards, right, and a lot of these organizations, they they look at you know finding coaches, it almost feels like sometimes they feel like they just go out on the street corner and find a coach. It feels like to me, you know, it, it's an ongoing process, right? You're always recruiting coaches. You're always looking for coaches. You're always networking with coaches, right? What's, what's maybe been the most important aspect or the most important tool in your tool belt as you're trying to network and find these coaches, right? Is it, 
is it men's league, right? Is it your network of, of coaches you've worked with in the past, right? Is it your former players? What, what, what's been the best tool in your tool belt for finding those guys? You know, honestly, uh, when I first moved down, it was, it was a men's league stuff. I played for a little bit and got to know some different guys and that helped network. Um, I've gotten really lucky posting back in the, the old lax power days. And a lot of people reach out to us too. You know, a lot of people reach out and just know our location and, and say, Hey, I'm interested in coaching. And that's the way it started, honestly. And since then it is, you know, former players that want to coach. It is, uh, just knowing my own network, knowing other coaches that are coaching at other high schools or other youth programs, uh, that if, you know, if the opportunity comes up to coach with us, you know, that, you know, that's happened. Uh, one of our assistant coaches at the high school used to be the head coach at Bowie and he was looking to make a change. And now he's one of our assistant coaches. So kind of that network. And now that some of my players are a little bit older that I had the opportunity to coach in their high school careers, um, we're starting to get a couple of them involved. Um, and honestly with, with the high school coaches and the youth coaches, um, you know, we do have a lot of people to reach out. And when I have posts in the past, we've got a lot of responses. Again, I think our location is a big reason why, um, we also have a couple parents that have helped out and do a great job. And when we're looking for coaches, we're really looking for those guys that, you know, are really in it for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, regardless of their lacrosse experience and their, their playing experience or any coaching experience they had, if they're going to be consistently there, you know, they're going to have a great attitude. They want to learn. They want to know what we're trying to do at the high school level. They want to learn, uh, to see, Hey, what are the best ways for third and fourth graders to develop? Uh, my mindset is that we, we've got all the resources for them. You know, it's my full-time job. I've got some other coaches that really help out, uh, that will, will spend a ton of time with them, developing them as coaches. Um, and I think that's kind of the number one thing for us is trying to find those guys that, you know, they want to be a practice or they're consistently, they're great role models for the kids. And then the lacrosse side, you know, that's going to develop with them as it develops with the kids too. How much of your time, I mean, given all that, right? How much of your time is actually spent on X's and O's at the high school level right now? I mean, you know, you've, this is a full-time gig for you, right? And I'm assuming there's a whole lot more stuff that consumes your time on a daily basis than just the X's and O's for high school, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I try to do a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, in the summertime, times when the phone's not ringing or I'm not getting as many emails coming through. Uh, in the springtime, though, the youth does take up a ton of time, you know, between this. We had, I believe, maybe 14 youth teams last year. So 14 youth teams, um, you know, from first through eighth grade, you know, working with the coaches on any scheduling changes, practices, reminding them on, on little things, you know, the uniform orders, all that kind of stuff administratively does take a ton of time. So um, I try to kind of block out some mornings where it is high school time only, whether it's film or X's and O's, but a lot of it is going into the youth. And at this point, it's really about scalability for us and, and finding those resources that um, in our program already that, you know, know what we're looking for and can help bridge that down to the youth to free up some of my time to spend with the high school guys or to spend on my high school. One of my assistants, Will Laurel, has been with me since I started at Austin High. And he was actually at Austin High School coaching before I got there. And now he, last year, he was our third and fourth grade coordinator. He was going to every third and fourth grade practice. Um, something that I think has, has helped our program a ton and working with our, you know, our, our, our parent volunteers in third and fourth grade. And this year is going to be going to our first and second. And those are things that I used to do. And then now he's taking on those, some of those roles and responsibilities so that I can free up my time to, you know, uh, see things a little bit more from a, from a, a higher level and 
um, implement new things, and then spend some more time with the high school, uh, since a lot of it is taken up by, by the youth uh, administratively and logistically throughout the course of you know the day and the week. Did I hear you say you have 14 youth teams that feed your high school? We do. Now, in, in our, in our uh, you know, in the Austin area, you know, uh, our first and second graders play, it's four on four. So those teams are about, you know, eight players each um, on our normal roster. And then in third and fourth grade, it's seven on seven. So those teams are about 14 or 15 players each. Uh, so that we did, I think, out of our, you know, I think we had around 175 players last year in our youth about 120 or 130 were first or fourth graders. So that's definitely our, our biggest group. Um, and we're definitely investing a lot of time in, in those groups to make sure they have a great experience and, and, and they're developing and having some fun. So they want to come back for, for future years. Man, that's awesome. What, where do you see, and, and maybe you don't have enough data yet, but I mean, that's a huge youth organization, right? Feeding a single high school. Where do you see the attrition occurring? Is it, you know, going into junior high or is it that freshman year or, and maybe you don't have any data yet. I, I, I don't know, but where do you see that attrition taking place? I think it's going into the fifth and sixth grade years. That's something we're looking at now and trying to address, see how we can make some positive changes to it. Um, I think it's a natural thing uh, from fourth or fifth grade going into fifth and sixth. That's when kids start finding what sports they want to maybe continue with or take more seriously. Maybe I'm going to start playing on a select team for, for the sport at the first or fourth grade level, a lot of our players and they're still playing baseball and soccer and basketball and flag football. And then when you get to the middle school level and you know, you're looking ahead to the high school, they're starting to think about, Hey, what do I want to play? What do I, what am I good at? What do I, you know, want to be a little bit more competitive with or spend more of my time doing. And I think that's something that, you know, is inevitable to a certain degree. Uh, but I also do think that, you know, from fourth grade to fifth and sixth grade, the, the, the game is a little bit different. Um, and for us in the Austin area, it's going from playing seven on seven in third and fourth grade to playing 10 on 10 in fifth and sixth grade. And I honestly, when I watch fifth and sixth grade games, I don't think they should really be playing 10 on 10, even at that level. Um, you know, you see a fourth grader and a fifth grader stand next to each other. Sometimes there's not that big of a difference. So trying to make the game still really enjoyable in the fifth and sixth grade and, and develop them and, and kind of progress them more towards a full field. But I think that is part of it is that environment they have uh, mixed with some of those other factors of, of trying to decide what they want to continue with. Um, but I think that is, I think third and fourth grade is the optimal time to get kids involved. I think their, their motor skills, their, their development athletically, they can handle a stick pretty well at that point. And if they've been playing since first and second grade, they're probably advancing a little bit. And then, uh, you know, fifth and sixth grade hits and kids are getting bigger and stronger and faster and the game's changing a little bit. How is Austin youth lacrosse governed? So everything you just described, you know, whether it's the four on four or seven on seven at the younger ages, is that something that's being dictated to you by a local youth governance organization? Or is that something that you've developed for your teams? So, it's interesting. So when I was at Westlake with Chris Selfaus, we ran something called, uh, it was pretty much an in-house program. It's called the Roadrunner League for first and second graders. And it was almost like an I-9 style where you had, you know, half your practice was skills and drills. The other half of their practice was scrimmaging. Uh, when I went over to Austin High, uh, Chris and I kind of worked together on uh, 
a little bit of a proposal with our Central Texas Youth Lacrosse Association, which is our governing body for for youth lacrosse in the Austin area uh, on you know, new new uh, format changes for our first and second, our third and fourth grade teams. And at that point, uh, the vote um, made the change for for all of the teams in the Austin area to play four and four in first and second grade, and then seven and seven in third and fourth grade. Uh, so that's something that's happened for. Uh, I believe now three years that we, we've had that structure within our youth organization and, and all of our all of our member teams in the Austin area are currently playing under those guidelines. So tell me about the your youth teams, right? And and how you your your philosophy about you know youth lacrosse, or maybe it's probably not even youth lacrosse specific. It's probably youth sports, your philosophy about coaching youth sports. And then maybe how that philosophy has manifested itself specifically in your youth lacrosse organization. Sure. So I think number one is providing an environment that's going to benefit the development of, of our, of our young lacrosse players. So um, what does that look like? Our, our, I guess probably the best way of of talking about it, it's kind of maybe giving you a little bit of a what a sample practice would look like for our guys. You know, I think um, we want to make it as fun as possible. We want to make it as, you know, as um, as engaging as possible for the young guys. And um, we'll start with if we have, uh, let's say, third and fourth grade, they have an hour and a half practice. About the first 10 or 15 minutes is, you know, kids are strolling in. We let them kind of just have some free play. You know, we've got goals set up, balls are in their buckets. Go find a buddy, go shoot on the goal, go play a game, do, go do whatever you want. Uh, first 15 minutes is usually that way. Then we'll do about 30 minutes of some skills and drills. So we'll do some two-on-ones, some 3 v some partner dodging, some, you know, whatever the game may be. Maybe some of the old-school camp games like, you know, Sharks and Minnows or, you know, Ground Ball King or whatever, you know, whatever game you want to play. Do that for about 30 or 40 minutes and... Usually when we do that, so we do have one of our high school coaches, and this used to be me, now he's taken on that responsibility, is he's our third and fourth grade coordinator. So last year we had, I believe, five or six third and fourth grade teams, and they're all practicing on the same field at the same time. So we've got a goal for every team, a bucket of balls for every team, and some volunteer coaches. So uh, we were kind of a uh, an accordion-style practice where – Everyone will come in on our third and fourth grade coordinator. He'll kind of demo a drill for the parents and for the kids. And then they'll break back out to all of their goals and they'll get to work on that drill or that skill, whatever that's going to be. Um, so we'll do that for about 30 or 40 minutes, that same style, you know, drills lasting, you know, eight to 10 minutes, something really quick. Um, and most of them are decision-making drills. You know, it's a two on one, it's a three on two, um, trying to get ball movement going and trying to help them, really just play the game and then usually the last half of practice we let them scrimmage you know we set up fields and and hey you're this team's playing that team and this team's playing this team um and we just let them scrimmage you know you're changing their positions uh you're letting them play and that's kind of their time that that free play is huge i think for their development and they're starting to incorporate maybe some of the things that, that they learned in that you know the skill and drill session maybe they remembered one thing they can add into the game if not they're probably picking up stuff on their own throughout the course of that, that free play session, that scrimmaging session at the end of the game. And, and they're probably having fun. And, um, and that's something that we, you know, we even do with our 
some of our, of our uh, older guys. We do it with the high school guys sometimes, too. It's just I put them on teams, let them play. Uh, so I think for us at the youth level, um, you know, we want to expose them to as many positions as possible, different situations, and we want it to be engaging and fast and something that's almost like a recess for them. Uh, where they're you know coming out, they're having a blast, and they're competing, and they're you know they're learning, and they're you know they're being challenged, but they're having fun while they're doing it, and uh, that's kind of the experience we want those guys to have, and we feel like the development will follow that. How does that change? So what you described was, I think you made a reference to third and fourth graders. How yeah. does that how does that experience change once they get to fifth and sixth or seventh and eighth grade? Yeah. So in First or fourth grade, we have parent volunteer coaches. So uh, parent volunteers will come out and they'll each be assigned to teams. And we have somebody supporting their practice. So they have, you know, they have a support system right in place, right at practice every day, whether they need balls or cones or, or again, we're kind of helping navigate that practice for them. So they don't really need a practice plan of their own coming in each day. Uh, in fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, uh, those teams are, um, we do have hired coaches for those teams, paid coaches. So those programs, uh, you know, those, those teams are run a little differently. We give them uh, a coaching clinic at the beginning of the year, talking to them about how we, we like our practices run. I give them a, uh, a PowerPoint of, of drills, our favorite drills, um, and kind of just say, hey, here, here are 12 drills that if you run these 12 drills and this is all you run all season long, your kids are probably going to get better. You know, these are drills that we, we feel really confident in that are going to help with decision-making. They're going to keep your practices fast. Uh, they're going to allow them to play and learn on their own. Um, and um, and then we kind of check in. You know, I, I go to some practices in fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and I see how things are going, and, I, and I'm just a resource for them throughout the course of the spring season. If they're looking for new things. I'm watching their, their, their youth games, so I can point out and say, hey, you know, it looks like you guys need some work on this. Here are some cool drills for you. Let me know if you want some help. I can come out to one of the practices. Uh, and this year, too, we're lucky that we have more of our high school coaches willing to step in and coach in our middle school program. So some of that uh, is going to translate down uh, just from their experience coaching at the high school level, too. Um, but, we, you know, we have since we have hired coaches is, is kind of giving them a little bit more responsibility. Um, they usually have more experience. Um, but we do still give them a framework to, to kind of go off of and to um, – you know, you give them resources so that they're not stuck out there by themselves. Yeah, how do they, you know, during the course of the season, um, you know, how do they pull the, the ripcord on resources, right? Is it just a matter of, you know, hey, Jordan, giving you a ring. Hey, I, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing this problem or I need help with this or could you come to practice? Is, is it just as simple as a phone call to get resources? Yeah, yeah. Text, phone call, email. Some of them utilize it more than others. Last year I started doing a – a drill a week. Uh, so I would, you know, put together a video, maybe it was from our high school practice and I'll send it out to the coaches and say, Hey, here's the drill of the week. Here's something we were working on in practice today. This would be awesome for you guys to implement too. If you're looking for something new, something fresh, check this out. Um, and again, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of their games, most of their games, at least their home games. So if I'm watching too, I may notice some things that I feel like would be beneficial for them to work on in practice. Or, you know, I still have a lot of interactions with them outside of, you know, here's all your stuff, go for it, we'll see you in three months, you know. So right. I do have some some personal interactions with them throughout the course of the week, you know, at least once, if not twice every week, that I at least see them in, in passing that I can check in and see what's going on. 
that that drill of the week idea is the coolest idea ever. I love that. <laughs> yeah. well, it's funny. I started idea. last year and I'm going through things and, and every year I kind of update what drills I give the coaches and, and I find something and I'm, I'm, I'm a lacrosse nerd. So as I'm fired up about it and what I did was I started filming a little bit of, I give them the, the filming of our practice and then I do a voiceover as well. So I kind of walk them through the drill. I pause it. I, I tell them what we're looking at and I tell them how they can adapt it too. So, you know, if we're doing a three on two and, you know, next time through, hey, you could say it's a three-on-two, it starts with a pick, or a three-on-two, and it starts with a give-and-go, or it's, you know, and kind of give them things so then they can look at it and kind of make it their own, too, and see kind of what they feel is right. is necessary for their team and gives them a little control as well. But, yeah, it was, it was fun. I'll definitely do it again this year for the different age groups. What's been the, the, the impact of this coaching philosophy? What's been the impact of this philosophy on your youth parents, right? So, you know... Conventional wisdom is all youth lacrosse parents are bonkers. And there's <laughs> there's certainly ample evidence in that regard. But you know, what what what's been the impact of your philosophy on your parents? Yeah. I think some of it is communication from from, from my part. Uh, keeping them in the loop, telling them why we do things and what we're doing. Um, I think having our high school coaches come out and having a third and fourth grade coordinator where they see it very organized at practice and see there's a goal to practice and there's a goal to what we're doing. I think that certainly helps. Uh, this year we've implemented that every high school player will volunteer a certain amount of uh, hours with the youth program. And some of them have already hit that just in the fall. So you have some of our high school guys out there, which the parents love and, and I love their, I think the high school guys get just as much out of it as, as the, the youth guys do. And they see kind of that connectedness between the high school to the youth. Um, and now our parents have been really supportive of, of the decisions that we've made and, and how, how, how things are organized. Uh, the other thing that I think we do that is definitely been beneficial to, um, you know, to, to our families is that, you know, we have opportunities throughout the course of the year to play lacrosse. And uh, whether you're a new player or you're an experienced player, for example, we just, we do a, uh, a fall tournament team this season. So we just finished uh, yesterday, actually, was our last tournament. And, you know, we put teams together third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, and it's not select. It's not, uh, you know, chosen in any way other than the first guys to sign up. You know, so you have some kids that maybe play select ball that are also playing on a, a third and fourth grade. We call them our junior Maroons teams. And, you know, you're going to be a you know fifth grader and you play select. Well, you're going to be on a team with maybe somebody who's a little newer, you know, and we keep that balance. Um, and, you know, I think our, our thought process, which our, our parents have really supported is, and we want to try to make this as, as accessible for everyone and give them the best experience we can for everyone. And even the parents that are, you know, again, their kids play select, they still sign up for these programs to take part and, and be a part of the little community that we have. Is, do you offer any parent specific training and that sounds crazy to ask that question, but, you know, there are some teams and programs that will offer, you know, a, a, a dinner or a night out with the coach where you do a one-on-one or during the course of the season, do you touch base with your parents? And, you know, something as simple as, as, as watch film or just have a question and answer period. Are, are, are you doing sure. any of that with your parents? With my youth parents, uh, I, I was not this year. We're going to do a... Uh parent orientation for the youth it's something we do with the high school families uh every year every fall uh for all the families of the high school uh, so that's something we're going to be starting with our youth we'll do it one for first through fourth graders and one for fifth through eighth graders 
Uh, the only other time that we really have to spend with our families outside of the field, um, we have a, a fundraiser, which is kind of cool. And our, our high school and youth families kind of come together and they mingle. And, and I get to kind of walk around and, and, and kind of have a lot of those conversations with a lot of the families while they're there. Uh, but the other thing is I don't coach a youth team and I'm, I'm usually on the fields for all of our home youth games. So as the games are going on, I'm not really on the sidelines as much as I am on or the, the team sidelines as much as I am on the parent sidelines, you know. So gotcha. as the games are going on, it's, I, I think it's, it's beneficial to be on their side. So, you know, they're asking questions or, you know, you're kind of walking them through what we're trying to do or, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. And the same thing when our, our tournament teams come together, you know, you're at a tournament, you're, you're having a lot of interactions with those families throughout the course of the day. And, you know, the fifth and sixth grade team is playing and I'm, you know, talking with the fifth and sixth grade parents and, and if they have, they're going to have questions and I'm there to answer them and, and kind of uh, be a resource for them, you know, as the game's going on. So it's, it makes it a little easier for them. What, um, what changes do you have planned in the youth program over the next couple of years? I mean, is it, is there any, any big ticket items coming down the pipe or are, are things cruising along pretty well and you're just going to, you know, tweak a few things here and there? Um, I think the, the biggest goal is still to just hit the elementary schools, hit the elementary schools and try to find, uh, we don't have a lot of new middle school players coming out. So trying to get into the middle schools as well. And just the recruitment piece, um, trying to find the last couple of elementary schools we haven't hit yet and try to network and, and get into those elementary schools. So we have, uh, more exposure to, to more kids. Uh, so that's probably number one, um, this year, again, having, a first and second coordinator, just like we had a third and fourth grade coordinator and somebody that's a high school coach that kind of knows what we're trying to do and wants to take on that responsibility will allow me to spend more time with also the middle school coaches um, to kind of oversee some of that. So continue implementing some of the development systems that we have in place and some of the methodology that we, we, we want to see happening at the youth level. Um, so those are, those are the two big ticket items. The one that is, or the two really that are, uh, you know, in the back of my head, uh, one is some form of in-house league. You know, I, again, listen to your podcast and hearing hearing uh, Kiernan talk about you know their their in-house uh, program they have at Memorial um, got me thinking. And again, Chris Elfels and I did a little in-house program at Westlake, and I think there's a lot of benefits to that. I think a lot of what we can do can be in-house, um, and you know, you're saving time, resources, you know, money to have everything happen right on your home fields and against each other. And, and so I, I want to look more into seeing how that can happen over the next year or so. And then the other uh, kind of bigger ticket is fifth and sixth grade. You know, how, how are we developing those guys? You know, I think there's a big jump from fifth to sixth grade, uh, their athleticism, their size, should they be playing on a full field? Is there a way for us to, you know, go, eight on eight instead of 10 on 10, you know, start developing where you're going from seven on seven to eight on eight to 10 on 10, things like that. Um, third and fourth grade, I would love to invest in some, some five by five goals instead of the six on six goals. So, you know, our goalies could be a little bit more, uh, you know, <laughs> at an even playing field, right. uh, little, little things like that, seeing how we can create a better environment in our youth program, you know, whether it's in-house stuff, changing fifth and sixth grade, uh, you know, still working on the third and fourth grade side, um, doing some more box lacrosse stuff. I, I love box. Uh, our high school guys play, our youth guys play, and doing more of that. Um, 
more free play, maybe doing a, you know, a pickup league for the guys in the off season where they're just coming in, you know, we, we're, we're letting them play, whether it's box or a small sided field or, or something like that. Um, I think it's just, again, creating more opportunities for them to play at a lower cost. It's convenient to get some most kids out. You're, um, you were talking about your, your conundrum at the fifth and sixth grade level and, and, and trying to integrate more with the schools. Are you integrating with the individual schools or are you integrating at the school district level? So with the individual schools. So typically I'll reach out to every school that feeds into Austin High, in, you know, end of the summer, uh, seeing if there's a way for me to come in and do uh, some PE lacrosse. So right now we're in, I think, five elementary schools out of the seven. And I'll go in and do PE lacrosse for, we meet each class once um, and we'll you see every class first through fifth grade. Are, are you approaching the PE teachers directly or are you having to approach the local administrators for that? The PE teachers directly. Yeah. When I first started, we do have great support from our athletic director at Austin High School, Mike Rosenthal. Um, and he reached out to all the, the PE teachers when I first got hired and said, hey, this is Jordan. You know, he's the head coach at Austin High School. He'd love to come in and do PE lacrosse in your elementary schools. You know, we, you know, we support that uh, type message. So that definitely helped. And then the other thing, you know, we have a couple of schools that we haven't had an opportunity to get into. And after maybe a year or two, um, you know, they, they brought us in and said, hey, you know, we talked to the PE teacher from so-and-so high school. And they said, hey, it was great. So yeah, now we'll, we'll have you in. So it wasn't right away, day one, we were in five schools. We were probably in two or three, and now we're up to five and, and growing just because I think the word of mouth from the other PE teachers said, hey, this is, this is a good program. You know, we, we, would, we would recommend it. We would support it. The, uh, so the, the way of the world is, is, is data and information. You strike me as a bit of a data guy, if I had to guess. <laughs> a bit, yeah. As... Um, how are you me- at, at the youth level specifically, right? What are you tracking? What are you measuring, right? From a data perspective, what, 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 what interests you? I need to do a better job with data at the youth, honestly. But um, what I am kind of tracking is grade by grade, some retention grade by grade, and, um, and then also how many kids are participating outside of the spring season. I think that's a big one for me because it's, you know, if we're not reaching – I think we had a roughly 75 of our 175 uh, participate in the fall, you know, in some way capacity. Uh, players are returners, so you know, close to half, which is which is great. But now, how are we going to reach those other those other guys? Whether it's a clinic, you know, one time thing, um, just providing more opportunities for them to play, or are there better times of the year to have those guys out outside of the spring season to play? Um, but I'm I'm looking at that to see how can we make it more of a because a lot of these guys I don't think play, you know, in their backyards. There's, you know, they're not going and playing pickup someplace. So right. how can we, you know, meet the needs of, of, of those kids? Is it doing a summer camp? And when is the right time to do a summer camp? Um, those are some of the things that I, I struggle with a little bit. But so I, I do look grade to grade and, and see kind of retention rates uh, between grades and seeing how big classes are and what schools we're pulling from. I know almost on top of my head, you know, how many kids we have from each school at the elementary school level and how are we going to reach some of those other schools? Um, we have some ideas there, but those are the things I, I, I kind of go back and forth with at the youth level. Now, I love the fact that, you know, listening to you talk right there, how much emphasis you're putting outside of the traditional season, 
right? Whether it's just hosting pickup games in the summer or, you know, these, these fall teams that you're talking about that are sound like they're, they're pretty inclusive, but right? you're, you're putting a lot of thought and effort into that off season effort, man. And that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I felt like I got a lot out of that when I played, I started late and, you know, there were pickup leagues that I would drive 20 minutes to. And, you know, you go and you see high school helmets from everybody. You know, when I was in college, I'd go and you played in the college division and, you know, you see all these guys playing at all these different colleges and, and you just got put on a team. Here's your jersey, go play. And it, I think that's where I got better. And that's where I had the most fun probably too. I mean, as much as you like your high school season and everything like that, um, guys that just want to, you should love the game. You should just want to go play. You know, you should want to get on a team. You want to go play on a, a Wednesday evening and over the summer. And I think having that opportunity for these guys would be huge. I think we'll benefit from it uh, culturally, you know, having more of a connection to each other. And then also on the lacrosse side of things, as they play more lacrosse, they'll get better at lacrosse. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like, like we, we were talking about, I can't remember if we talked about it before I started recording or after. I feel like we could probably talk for five more hours. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could keep this going all that long. This is awesome. This has been so much information from you. It's just been a tremendous discussion, man. I'm so grateful um, that that you were willing to do this. I think for, for folks who listen to this, man, there's a ton of information from you in this. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. And, and well, just, I appreciate you having me on. And again, I, you're probably going different, so many different directions. And obviously my roles between high school and youth are, you know, I, I could talk to you probably for, you know, like you said, hours on each one specifically, but, yeah. um, but yeah, it's fun. Again, I think in, in Texas there, there's so much going on and there's so much we can learn from each other. And, um, and I think, the, we're just getting started on a lot of this stuff and trying to define what, you know, the best situations are for our kids at, you know, at every grade level to, help them enjoy and then support the families that we can, that we can to have more kids come out and play and get them engaged. Yeah. And I'll definitely be reaching back out to you to talk to you again and have a, another discussion. And I think we would focus just on the high school stuff, honestly, at that point, I think there's a lot to talk about there. I know you were, um, you were involved with Blake, right. in that proposal that was developed. Uh, yeah. Now that having talked to you, I think I understand your, your perceptive, your perspective on that and i think maybe some of the connecticut influence that, that i heard and felt about right so which is super cool and yeah we're absolutely you know if you're interested love to get back together again in the future with you and talk about just high school stuff man. Good stuff. yeah absolutely anytime